0: impossible. When I look back on my life I realize that when I really connected with that word was through television. I was a kid of the 60s and I spent an awful lot of time in front of the television set. When I was a little girl there was a Rodgers and Hammerstein rendition of the tale of Cinderella. And there was a song that still sticks in my mind. Impossible. Impossible for a plain yellow pumpkin to become a golden carriage. Impossible for a plain country bumpkin and a prince to join in marriage. Impossible. As I got older and I viewed more of my television education, there was another show with the word impossible in it. And I bet you can hear the music as soon as I say it. Mission Impossible. You know you're singing it. Okay, Mission Impossible, the story of like spy drama where they go out and find um, impossible criminals and bring them to justice. Through my life, there's been a lot of songs, a lot of ideas, a lot of things brought to the media that are Impossible. I mean, just think, recently, all of you who are vegetarians, what have you been eating? Ha, yeah, the impossible burger, right? But the word impossible, if you look at the definition, is a much more powerful word than any of those things really indicate. The word impossible means not able to occur, exist. Or be done. It is not something that is challenging or improbable. It's not something that could happen or might not. Something that is impossible. If you believe in the impossible, it is something preposterous, inconceivable, crazy. Things that are impossible just don't happen. Because they're impossible. Well, in Daniel 2, we have a story that truly maximizes the true meaning of the word impossible. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 2 and you can follow along with this story. Pastor Lerone gave a good rendition of it for the children, but we're going to dig in just a little deeper. Now, we're talking about a king who is the king of Babylon, which is the most powerful empire in the world at the time. And he makes a truly impossible demand of his wise men. And it all has to do with a crazy dream. Now, are any of you dreamers? I am. I have to admit, I dream in color and in detail and I remember it all. How many mornings I will wake up and roll over and say to my husband, you'll never believe what I dreamed last night. And after almost 43 years of marriage, he generally will respond, yeah, You're right, I probably won't. But I do have to tell you that I have never rolled over and said, hey Frank, tell me what I dreamed last night. Because that's crazy, right? That's just impossible. Yet that is exactly what the king does. He wakes up in the morning and he knows he has had a dream. As a very vivid dreamer myself, I know that after a dream, there can be like an essence of what it was, but you can't really put your mind on something solid. Even if you close your eyes really, really tight and try to bring it back. And I think that that is what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. He had a dream, but he just can't wrap his brain around it. So he calls in all his wise men and he tells them, that he needs them to tell him what the dream is and then tell him what the interpretation is. Now, the wise men, they use a proper amount of hemming and hawing about the whole thing, trying to be respectful, but they know that it is an impossible demand. In verse 5, the king makes it, very clear how he feels about it. If you look in your Bible, it says, If you do not make known to me the dream and the interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Now, these wise men, sometimes are called astrologers, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans. They were really pretty wise guys. They were scientists. They had studied the stars. They knew the movement of all of the stars in the sky. They also studied the natural things of creation. And they watched the course of nature. They studied how the bodies of humans and animals worked. And they used those things to foretell the future. I think that they also worked with the powers of darkness to be able to maybe conjure up spirits or assure the king that they could protect him from demons or from all evil. But the wise men were totally flabbergasted at this request of the king. They remained respectful, but I'm pretty sure that when they walked out of, out of his his throne room, they said, this is crazy. This is totally impossible. But to his face, they respectfully answered in verse 10 and 11, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Hmm. Didn't matter. A king persuaded against his will is of the same opinion still. And he just got more angry. The Bible says that he was angry and very furious. And only as a king who is angry and very furious in the ancient world can do, he makes a command that all of the wise men be killed. Torn limb from limb. Now, I want you to take a second and imagine what that might look like. This is an impossible request that the king has made of his wise men. It is totally impossible. And Daniel 2 circles around this entire request. And the, the good news is that there is an impossible result. But I believe with all my heart that when truly impossible things happen It is because God intervenes in the affairs of men. But even greater than impossible events are the the impossible interventions that God makes in the choices of men and women who are under the most difficult circumstances in the world. And I believe that those are only made possible by God's intervention in the hearts of men. As incredible as God's work is in impossible events in this story, I think the impossible reaching of Daniel's heart is more astounding than any other thing that happens in this story. Let's talk about Daniel. Now, Daniel, who is known as Belteshazzar to the king, had lived in Jerusalem, and he and his friends were taken as prisoners of war to the land of Babylon. Because they were young, good-looking, intelligent, the king decided that they would start a re-education program where he would train them not only in the language or the culture of Babylon, but he would change them into wise men like the others that he had. They were instructed. They were indoctrinated. And after three years, they they graduated from wise man school They had learned many, many things because the wise men taught these young boys to read the starry skies. They taught them to be able to look into the different human and animal bodies to see what they thought they could learn from there. You know, it's interesting that archaeologists have found a clay replica of a goat liver totally covered with cuneiform form writer, writing that tells how you can tell the future by reading a goat liver. Now, Daniel and his three friends would have been taught all of these wonderful things by the wise men. But because they had a relationship with the real God, the creator God, the God of heaven. They knew that all of these things were just superstition. They completed their coursework, and Nebuchadnezzar really declared that at the end of the 3 years that these young men were 10 times more capable than all the wise men in his kingdom. That's pretty high praise. But even though they were just interns or maybe junior apprentices in the world of wise men, when the king makes this decree that all the wise men be killed, Daniel and his friends were included in that. Now I have to ask you, if some great big guard came knocking on your door brandishing a sword and telling you that by orders of the king, you are going to be torn limb from limb, what would your reaction be? Imagine it. Throughout history, we have seen people who are in these experiences where they face death in just that short a notice. You think about those who hid Jews during the Holocaust and were caught. You think about the high school students at Columbine High School who, when asked, do you believe in God, had to make a split-second choice. You know, we like to take this story and make it into a nice children's bedtime story. But, you know, this is a, a story that contains abject fear, terror. This is a story that is definitely something that is, is terrorizing when you really think of how it happened. Yet Daniel remains impossibly calm in this violent and unjust situation. In verse 14 of Daniel 2, the Bible says that Daniel replied to the guard, with prudence and discretion. The Hebrew word there for prudence indicates that there was counsel given. Now you know the only person he had time to counsel with in that much time was God himself. The word used for discretion means perception and judgment. To me, it is impossible that Daniel could have been so level-headed in this kind of horrific situation. But instead of falling on his knees and begging the guard for his life or turning to God and saying, Lord, at least save me when you come in your kingdom, level-headed Daniel asks the guard, what is going on? and why this has been done. And the guard puts down his sword. You know, I think that you cannot be that calm in the middle of an impossible situation unless you have a God who is truly in your heart. I think the next thing that happens is just as impossible because as Daniel hears what is going on, he makes a decision. You know, we frequently tell the story of Queen Esther and how even though she is not called by the king, she goes in at risk of her own life and asks him a favor. You know, we don't think of it here, but Daniel does exactly the same thing. Unbidden and unannounced, this young man has the impossible courage of walking into the throne room of a king who is not only angry, but angry and very furious. And he walks into the king and asks if he would give him some time to really think about what this dream is and to make an interpretation. And an angry, furious king calms down. I think that kind of courage is impossible unless you have an awareness of a God who you know is on your side, a God who will do impossible things I think, for me, the next thing that happens is the most impossible thing that happened in the heart of Daniel. It has to do with faith. You know, 600 years later, Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, If you have faith, like the grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. I think most of us, if we are honest, have somewhere had a struggle with faith. Here, Daniel believes that this mountain can be moved. He believes that God is going to tell him what the king dreamed and give him an interpretation. It hasn't happened yet, but he tells the king, yeah, I'll be back. I'll tell you later. That is amazing faith to me. That is impossible faith to me. Where did he get it? Where did he get that kind of faith? Was he raised that way as a child? Can we credit his parents for that kind of faith? Or when he came to Babylon and he had to really worry about eating the food offered to idols and he prayed and God worked it out, was that what really gave him the faith in this situation? Or was he like Joseph? 1,200 years before Daniel, Joseph also had interpreted dreams of a king. But he had some practice ahead of time, if you remember. Joseph was in prison and he practiced interpreting dreams on some people there. Did Daniel also have some practice that we didn't know about? In chapter 1, it really clearly says that Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams... Had God shown him that he had this gift before? Did God speak to Daniel in that momentary time that fast where they counseled together and let him know? I don't know. However it happened, whenever it happened, Daniel knew God. And Daniel trusted God And with impossible faith, Daniel believed in his heart that God would help him do impossible things. Because when God is in your heart, he crowds out all the doubt. Now, an impossible faith is not a presumptuous faith. A faith that says, if I want something badly enough, I'm just going to pray and pray and believe and believe, and God will answer my prayer. You know, I have a problem with that because that seems to me to be an attempt to force the hand of God to accept my will, not an honest attempt for me to understand His. I once had a friend who really really wanted to believe that God would heal her husband who had been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And she told me, if I have enough faith, if I pray and if I believe with all my heart, I know God will heal my husband. But her husband died. And she had the unbearable guilt of feeling that it was her fault, that somehow her faith was not enough. I don't believe that Daniel had a faith based on his will. I believe quite the contrary, that Daniel had a faith based on the will of God. He wasn't insisting that God save his life. He wasn't insisting that God do things his way. He really knew God well. He had been working with him since he was in Babylon as as he had to process these things the wise men told him against what he had been taught as a child. He had to really pray to God. And he knew that God was in Babylon with him there. He also knew that God had a plan for these wise men that he had worked with, and for Nebuchadnezzar himself. And he knew that God was trying to reach the hearts of these people. God asked Daniel to do something very outside the norm, very outside the box, something impossible. And Daniel agreed to follow God, no matter how crazy it seemed. The impossible task was not Daniel's choice. It was the choice of the God of heaven who was working in all events to show all those involved what a powerful, mighty, amazing God he was. So Daniel goes back to the house. He gathers his three friends around them, and those boys pray like they had never prayed before. I don't know how you pray when death is this close to your face. I've never been in that situation. But I believe that they prayed for more than just God keeping them from being torn limb from limb. I believe they prayed for Nebuchadnezzar. I, prayed, I believe they prayed for those other wise men. And they prayed and they prayed for God to do the impossible. They prayed a prayer for God to show the king and their friends who was really in charge. And it had absolutely nothing to do with goat livers. There would have to be a kind of reckless abandonment in that kind of prayer to a powerful God. But that night, Daniel had a dream He had the same dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had. He had no doubt in his mind when he dreamed it that it was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And he had no doubt at all who had put that dream in his head. He had that impossible faith. And God had responded to his prayers If you look in chapter 2, verse 20 and verse 23, Daniel wakes up in the morning with a song. Part of the song, he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me What we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Don't you love how Daniel includes his friends? They had prayed together. They had struggled together. And they got the victory together. Daniel and his friends had no doubt that they served a God who answered prayer, a God who did impossible things. In the morning, Daniel gets up, gets dressed, and he goes in before the king. And they begin comparing notes. Daniel's dream, the king's dream, and find that everything fits perfectly together. The essence of the dream that somehow the king remembered comes back in technicolor and everything is so clear. And the king is overjoyed that this Daniel could tell him his dream and he had no problem with the interpretation of the dream because if he knew the dream, he clearly was right on the interpretation. It was quite the celebration of the impossible Now, the king had promised that whoever could figure this problem out for him would get rewards and gifts and honors. Now, this was Daniel's moment in the sun. This was his moment to shine. He could now really cash in on what had just happened, and maybe he would be second in command. Maybe he would be a powerful leader in the kingdom of Babylon. He could really use this to his advantage and he could really be somebody. You know, it said that the king actually fell down in front of Daniel and worshiped him. I mean, how is it possible to be humble in a situation like that? But Daniel didn't let it go to his head. He could have had it all, but he is very clear with the king that he had nothing to do with this. He was just God's spokesperson. I think that Daniel had impossible humility in that circumstance. Impossible unless you truly know personally the might and power of God. He says to the king in verse 28, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. Daniel saves the lives of all the wise men. No one is torn limb from limb that day. He also asks for promotions for his three friends who stood by him in the crisis. And he does get to stay in the court of the king. But most importantly, Daniel connects King Nebuchadnezzar to the God of heaven in a way that will eventually become life-changing. But that's another story for another day. (sighs) Impossible. Impossible. It almost sounds... Like a fairy tale, doesn't it? And they all lived happily ever after. But if you pick up Daniel and you keep reading, you will find that happily ever after is not what happens next. These four young men will face death nose to nose again. These four men will be instrumental as God continues to work to win Nebuchadnezzar to his kingdom. Daniel will see some of the most terrorizing and shocking prophecies about the end of the world that is recorded anywhere in history. The trials will continue but so will the impossible strength. More impossible things will happen because our God is not limited by our understanding or our possibilities. He's God. He's omnipotent. And he shakes his head at the box that sometimes we try to neatly package him in. He eagerly awaits opportunities to show us the impossible, both in our situations and in our hearts. So fast forward hmm, about a couple thousand years. Do you ever look at the headlines and feel like, we are facing legitimately impossible situations. Think of the coronavirus. When it started back in March, we thought "Ah, this would only be a couple weeks, but it has dragged on and on. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. And if we're honest, there's times we wonder if maybe we might be next. Is beating the coronavirus even possible? And look at all the racial tension that we have had. Anger and hatred between races continues to escalate. And we wonder, how is it going to end? Genuine dialogues have begun, but we wonder, is reconciliation even possible? And then we look at the fact that this is an election year and we are marching slowly to November. Campaigning is handicapped by COVID and America is struggling to regain footing. Is it even possible for America to be strong? like she once was? In our current situation, I think we have a lot to learn from a kid named Daniel, who though he was young and inexperienced, in his heart, he allowed God to do the impossible. He kept calm and perceptive in the middle of an extreme crisis. He had the courage to risk his life when God asked him to do it. He had a working, living, moment-by-moment, moment, deep, intense faith where he could access God in a second and know that God was there with him. And he had the humility to not let success or power go to his head because he continued to focus on God and giving him the glory. Sometimes it is in the impossible situations in life where God develops in his followers the impossible calm, the impossible courage, the impossible faith, and the impossible humility that he needs us to have to really do the work that he's called us to do. For us to face the impossible in our aching and reeling world, we, like Daniel, must first let God do the impossible work in our hearts. And the really eye-opening fact is whether the impossible becomes Possible or not is really our choice.